That is what the Bible does for us, is it helps root out all of that internal stuff so God can begin to heal and redeem and restore. Welcome to the Essentially Translatable Podcast, brought to you by Lutheran Bible Translators. I'm Rich Rodowski. And I'm Emily Wilson. And we are so glad that you are listening today. We want to be sure that you get the chance to listen every time an episode comes out. So Emily is here to tell you all about how you can make that happen. Well, if you're not on our email list to get the latest of our news, you can find that at lbt.org. And going under resources, you can find news, but also our podcast. So whether you're typing in lbt.org slash podcast or just poking around our website, we'd love for you to do that. Offer us your feedback by submitting a comment, but if you are on the track of your Google Podcasts or Spotify or iHeartRadio or Audible, you can find us there too. Absolutely, and we look forward to seeing you there. I don't know if we can see. Can we see? I think we can see. And No, we can't see. Okay. <laughs> but we look forward to, I don't know how all this tech works. I just sit behind the microphone and look pretty. So we're going to talk today with Heidi Gaiman. She is a member of Lutheran Bible Translators Board of Directors and also a licensed clinical social worker and author uh, with a new book out and just a real bundle of joy right. <laughs> to talk with. Right. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know Heidi, she has recently come out with a book. She has a few Bible studies out there with Concordia Publishing House. But her most recent book, Finding Hope, really has a lot to say of how to find strength in the midst of pandemic life stressors and just in general really helpful tool for people of all different backgrounds. So definitely want to recommend that read for you. But we had an excellent conversation with Heidi, just talking about the impact of God's word and uh, reaching out to people where they are. Yeah, just really so key and connected to the the type of thing that is at the heart of Lutheran Bible translators, that that people will have God's word in their hands and in their hearts and be able to see how God has spoken into the challenges of life and to just engage deeply with that scripture. Because God's gift of salvation and the goodness of the gospel is uh, for eternity, but for eternity begins now when you believe and follow Jesus. So really great to talk to Heidi. We hope you enjoy this conversation. We are here today with Heidi Gaiman, who is a member of the LBT Board of Directors. She is the licensed clinical social worker, has a degree in theology, so all the fun stuff. We're so glad to have you with us on the podcast today. Welcome, Heidi. Thanks for having me. Great to be with you guys. We're so happy you're with us and just wanting to give our audience a little bit of a background on you. Can you share a little bit about your story and what led you in the direction of becoming a church worker? Oh, sure. I like to categorize that one in the category of God relentlessly pursuing someone. Uh, Sometimes we have ideas for our life and then God is like, no, let's do this other thing over here. And so I ended up at Concordia University Chicago when I was 18, somewhat haphazardly, didn't even know that I should check a certain box to say that I was Lutheran. And so thankfully they alerted me there would be scholarships. I identified I was Lutheran. And then I found out there were these fancy things called church workers that had careers and spent their lives in ministry. And I was on a 
L train with a friend late one night, and she said, have you ever thought about being a, a deaconess? Mm-hmm. Have you ever thought about having a degree in, in theology? My original degree is in psychology, and I was like, you mean people study God for a living? <laughs> yeah. like, I want this in my life. And so I ended up uh, getting a dual degree in theology and psychology, and I met a boy, <laughs> as so often will happen, and he was studying to be in the seminary and to be a pastor, and so we went to seminary. And at that point, we made an agreement because it cost too much money for two people to go to school. And so we ended up where he went to seminary and I worked. And then once he got out of seminary, we moved and he became a pastor. I went to graduate school and I found the University of Toledo social work program. And it had a specific focus on social justice as well as children and families. And so that was something I really wanted to study and that fit what I saw God's heart to be. And so I signed up for that program and I did the slow route. I had a couple children and had another one while I was in grad school. Why not? And while I was there, it became very clear to me that God had a heart for people who didn't know him, didn't have a name for him. And everyone I had come in contact with before that um, at Concordia had a vague idea of who Jesus Christ was. And this was a totally new idea to me that there were people who just didn't know. Uh, And so I wanted to be a part of that. That was really a strong place of the spirit in my life during graduate school that said, I have a a new plan for you and really putting me in the direction of delivering the gospel in places where people had never heard. And so I finished my MSW and I really felt strongly that God and his hope and his redemption had a message for mental health. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to be able to be in those spaces and be able to deliver the message of God's hope in really unique ways, I think, where God meets us in our mind, body, and spirit. And so that's how I ended up as a licensed clinical social worker and then also using my theology degree to change the way we think about mental health in the church and also to go be the church out there in the world for people in their mental health. That's really awesome to be able to see how God is at work in those spaces and where people don't yet know him, mm-hmm. that he he can be known even in the midst of struggles. And actually, that's a lot of times where we get to know him better mm-hmm. is in the pit and being able to, to grow in that and come alongside and disciple one another, but in a not a let me convert you way, but let me grow in relationship with you and to, to mm-hmm. speak truth. Yeah. Yeah, and it became really clear, I think, through those different degrees. It seems like such a small thing for God to use, but he was very clear that there's a place for people who've known Jesus their whole life Mm. to do the work and to grow in relationship with God. And there's a place for people who have never heard his name to grow in relationship with God and to have a name for who he is and and that work of healing in their life. And I thought that was just a really awesome thing that God showed me along the way is that all of these people that I'm gathering have a voice and I want you to pay attention to all of them. Now, if I'm thinking about all the things you're describing you were doing for grad school, you must have 
a couple of master's degrees at least? Is that <laughs> kind of right? No, I have an undergraduate degree in theology and psychology, oh, okay. and then I have a master's degree in social work. Okay. Yeah, and th- those are my only degrees. Okay. <laughs> I do have like certifications. I'm a trauma therapist, so I have yeah. certification in EMDR therapy, which people can Google if they're interested in it. I'm working on a certification in dialectical behavioral therapy, which is a different form of therapy. And then I also have training in Gottman style relational therapy. So yeah, that's a fun part of social work world is you just start to you, there's a lot of continuing education. Of, sure. So you pick up a lot of extra things. Yeah, constant posture of learning. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. talk about how you got started you know, and writing Bible studies. I mean, does that come out of your life in the parish somehow? Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. like, how did, how did you get there? I think part of that is the life in the parish. In my undergraduate degree, we were definitely taught exegesis and yeah. how to write Bible studies. That was a huge piece of it. So then the problem with that is then when you go to pick up materials, you're always thinking of ideas of how you might use them with that specific audience that's before you. Um, And so when my husband became a pastor and we did a lot of work with youth and Mm -hmm. young adults in particular in college student ministry, you know your audience best when God has placed you in their lives over the course of time. And so you're always adjusting Bible studies to match their particular season of life. And I just started rewriting and then writing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so that is, again, a haphazard way that God's like, I'm going to point you this direction. I started doing church work care ministry with Grace Place Wellness, um, just in seeing the need for also care then in ministry families' lives, especially children, whether church work kids or missionary kids Mm -hmm. or... um, Yeah, just any of the population that serves within the church or ministry structure. And at that point, it became a necessity to just create some spaces that were safe for those individuals to say what they needed to say and to have doubt just like we all do, but also not to impact their their flock sure. with that wrestling and stuff. And so then I started just creating content for Churchwood Care, and that turned into a website. Okay. <laughs> and so I started writing Bible studies, particularly for my youth and that crowd, and then my publisher that I'm with, Concordia Publishing House, found it online okay. and asked me if I would be interested in further writing. Yeah. And I about it and I was like I don't know like how do I feel like about this so then they asked me if I had any Bible studies already written and so I put in front of them a study of Galatians I had written and a study of the Song of Solomon that I had written Mm -hmm. and they picked the Song of Solomon (laughs) first and I was like wow out of the gate (laughs) yeah Mm -hmm. and so yeah that's how I got to that place of writing Bible studies and I also when I looked around me I had a different vantage point, I think, than a lot of people who write Bible studies because I was so invested in people being able to have their relational and mental health concerns heard by God Mm -hmm. and to understand that he addresses them in scripture, that God is invested in not just our souls, but he also cares about our body, our heart, our mind. All of that is one thing. And so... I'm really thankful because since then I've found a community of other writers who think from that perspective to some degree as well. And thankfully, you have a lot of great writers of all different styles. But that is my unique vantage point as a both a Bible study author and an author of regular texts is that you're going to get both that theological piece of who God is and what his heart is and then also 
mental and relational health every time with hope. So what have you been challenged by in the Bible study writing process and collaborating with other authors? Mm. I think the greatest challenge for me has been, who am I writing for? Because as a child who didn't necessarily grow up in the church, invested in the church my whole life, right? We were kind of in and out. I have a heart for people on the margins. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then also, like I said, people who may not know that God's name is Jesus or that God is a God of grace and those different ideas about who God is. And so it has been a challenge for me to decide when you sit down to write who you are writing for. And so in writing to ministry families, you're writing to a very churched population, people who have often been in the church their whole lives. Sure. Yeah, so there's a level of information you can assume they Mm -hmm. have, and then maybe in other situations you find wrestling with how much do I need to explain or not assume that Mm -hmm. people understand the, the terms or the concepts I'm Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And in the Lutheran church in particular, uh, people tend to have a lot of education. Mm -hmm. We're very uh, thinking friendly. And so I am also the person who's trying to get you to consider your emotions and to consider uh, relational nuances when you communicate and that God does address those things in the text. And so the other challenge I would say that goes along with that is my bias And when I look at a text from scripture, being able to be at least aware of my bias, we're all going to have biases and being honest about that so that when I sit down, I'm bringing God's word to you instead of what I want you to know about God's word. Mm -hmm. And so that has been a particular challenge. I think it is solved by having a writing community and having a community around you that also looks at what you're writing before you put it out there, gives you other perspectives. That has been excessively valuable in the challenges. Sure. So have you had a favorite area of focus in all of your writings. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, the tagline on my website is mental health, relationships, and hope, because that's the goal is we, I want people to interact with those things, but always do it with hope and to eventually know the name of Jesus. And so for me, a lot of that comes through wrestling with difficult concepts that I think we have a lot of misconceptions about, whether through scripture and translation of scripture, also through our relationship with the body of Christ on earth, or a lack of relationship with the body of Christ on earth. And so shame and grace is a big one that you'll see themes of through my writing. And I have whole charts and things on this in my Bible studies. And it's interesting because when people pick up my Bible studies or my writings and they haven't interacted with me before in any other way, a common refrain is that they're a little bit taken aback by it because you are going to get that mental health piece. And I think when you pick up a Bible study, you're not always thinking like, oh, I'd, I'd like to deal with all of my internal stuff. <laughs> right, right. Uh, but in reality, that is what the Bible does for us is it helps root out all of that internal stuff so God can begin to heal and redeem and restore. And so that's one ongoing theme, shame and grace, guilt and grace, of course, also, yeah. but the difference between those things, trauma is a huge piece because there are so many people who have have had some kind of experience with trauma and we as believing Christians have hope in that that the world can't offer and people need to hear that God is invested in their story whatever that story might be 
Yeah, so in, uh, with a focus on mental health, relationships, and hope, what does that look like in the COVID context? Like, how has that changed or enhanced or multiplied what you're doing? <laughs> I think COVID is a, is a beast, very difficult to deal with, and it also has small gifts. And for me, it has opened the window for talking about mental health yeah. in our culture. And so I would say that that's the biggest piece is I see more people ready to talk about their stuff mm -hmm. and to talk about it in organizational cultures, in church cultures, in family. And so that, I think, is going to be really helpful for us long term, even though it feels so messy and yucky yeah. right now. And so COVID, what it did, in my opinion, is bring all the stuff we already had to the surface. It's overflowing out of us now, sure. whether that's anxiety or questions or wrestlings, disagreements and discussions, all those things. And so that can be really overwhelming. Yeah. I think if we can walk together in it, it's going to be a really powerful thing. And COVID also brought an awareness of the importance of community and connection. And so I think we are at a place where we have to be a little bit more honest about what disconnection does in our life. And again, God offers us more. So the body of Christ is his answer to the lack of community and connection that we have in the world. And so we can go out and be loud about the fact that God does meet us with his hope in Christ. And one of that, one of the ways he does that is through the community. So in the midst of everything, of your years of experience as a deaconess and a licensed therapist, how have you witnessed lives transformed by God's word in sitting with people and it being in relationship? Mm, that's really, I think the stuff that we, we want to see and we don't always get to see it regularly. The transformation is such a powerful thing that we see over time. Mm -hmm. And it takes that relational energy and that relational work. You know, when Lutheran Bibles translators sends people out or they begin to partner with a community group, it takes time. Mm -hmm. And so I think that now especially in being a therapist in my context in Norfolk, Nebraska, over four years, I get to see a little bit more of that because I've invested time in those relationships. And those people have also invested in having a relationship with me. Uh, same thing in my local community of faith, in my body of Christ there uh, at Christ Lutheran Church in Nebraska. Because of the time that we've been there, we've get, got to invest in that. And so... I think that I would love to see transformation regularly all the time. And instead, what I see is tiny bits of healing and hope that I'm super grateful for. So when someone has a bad day and they are able to reach out and say, I'm having a bad day, I now see that as so much more than just oh, that's really nice, someone checked in. Instead, I see that as the beginning of the transformative process of Christ that we want to see for people. And so I think when we go out to deliver hope too, to be able to look at those tiny bits is going to really serve us well, to have the resilience to believe that God is building this bigger hope long term. And I just finished writing my book and releasing my book, Finding Hope. And that's really part of it is that so often it doesn't feel like transformation. Instead, it feels like brokenness. And yeah. that's the reality. It is. The world is hard mm -hmm. inside of ourselves. We have our own brokenness. 
in our relationships, we have brokenness. In the body of Christ, we have brokenness. In communities, in the world at large, the grass underneath our feet is groaning for Christ to come back. But it's pretty awesome to see God do tiny bits of hope to get us to that big hope that he is returning for us, that he has a bigger plan, and that his story is this awesome epic that we get to be a part of. Yeah, it's really, really well said. I think uh, I'm not sure how to form the question here because it's kind of an observation. I think that there's an impulse or a thought that that people like to say that, you know, when God created the world, he said it was good, right? But then people have sort of lost the concept that when sin came into the world, and I'm not talking about any individual's particular sin, just the impact that sin exists in the world corrupts everything. And we have no clue what it would look like to be in the way things got intended. And so how do you see that in the work that you do, especially thinking of working with folks that are involved in church work or in, in caring roles for other people? Mm-hmm. What do you see as the, the challenges or limitations that, mm-hmm. that really need to be dug into? Yeah, I think there's two big pieces to that. One is that it's really challenging when we call everything sin. That is not really well received by the world and the culture, even though there is truth in that. Brokenness is the word that I like to use because at the front end, when I say sin, someone has shut down, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's a challenge. From a linguistic perspective, even we'd say, yeah, the word, even if it was the right word at some point, it's language takes on a connotation that you can't control anymore. And so that is, so I, yeah, I, yeah, I go, I, I'm tracking with you. That's yeah, absolutely. And so yeah. in Finding Hope, I present four different ways of seeing brokenness. And, yeah. and some of that is that individual sin that we each have, and it does need to be addressed. It's important. Sure. But there's all this other stuff that we're talking about. Yeah. The other piece of that, I think, is seeing that God's plan is more than redemption. So Jesus Christ died on the cross and forgave our sins, and that's a huge piece. It's this giant hinge in the history of salvation. But that's also not the goal. The goal is restoration, that Christ is coming back Mm -hmm. and that he is going to make all things new. And we're going to be better than that place of glory or perfection or whatever word you want to label it that we were at the beginning. And that for whatever reason that you and I don't know because we are not God, he calls all of that better, that that's a better plan. Mm -hmm. And I think it has to do with his heart toward humanity and his heart toward all people. And like the work of LBT, that God is taking all of this time to collect his people and he will not come again until all people have had the opportunity to hear about him. And we believe at LBT that it's about allowing them to hear that in their heart language. That is after God's own heart. And I think that's a restoration piece that's about the bigger picture. But for some reason, we've gotten a little jammed up into thinking that the cross and the resurrection was the goal. Mm -hmm. And that's not to be belittled peace. Of course, yeah. But that's not the end game. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And just the, in the meantime, again, as you said, we can't know in God's infinite wisdom, why would he have chosen to work this way? But we catch glimpses like the privilege of getting to be even a small part of his redemptive and restoration work in the world and the lives of people mm-hmm. uh, through whatever way he calls us to speak into someone's life or or through mission work or Bible translation or whatever it may be. 
There's so many ways, and, and maybe that's just a part of it, is the invitation to, to quit looking at yourself, look up and follow me, and let me take you places to to be part of the restoration. Yeah, and I would encourage people to also just notice the people around them. Yeah. You know, you asked about uh, where I see hope and how God is working in transformation in particular, and I think we do see it. We have to notice those things. And I know that sounds really work oriented. It's not. It's very grace forward. God is the one who removes the scales from our eyes and allows us to see. But when we notice the struggle of our neighbor, especially when we're willing to look into the brokenness, we're going to see the hope so bright and beautiful. Sometimes I think we miss the hope because the brokenness is so uncomfortable. Sure. You're quoted as saying people matter more. And I love that of because in sin and the fall, the turning inward and that it's God has called us into that relationship with him, but also with others and that we might sharpen and point people to him. So people matter more. It's not in all of the stuff that, you know, the world likes to fill us up with in our brokenness, but instead God fills us. But Again, drawing mm-hmm. us into relationship with others. Yeah. yeah, he always does it through people. Yeah, and I'm no expert, and I would not want to like inadvertently minimize anything, but my own brief but kind of deep struggle with mental health, I can remember the thing that brought me out of it was focusing on somebody else. Mm, <laughs> and, it is I know it's wild, not the, yeah. I know it's not like the, the one size or, you know, whatever, but, but there is something to that, that at a mm-hmm. certain point. That's part of the redemptive work of God is the ability to say, I mean, original humanity was all about mm-hmm. everybody else and then the reversing of this turning it on yourself. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. mm-hmm. And that's Jesus meeting us in our struggle. Yeah. In his word, he so often deals with these things too. And I think notice in his word when you open scripture today that God cares about your mental health, that yeah. he cares about your relationships, and that's one massive way that he works his hope in our lives, especially in the struggle. Yeah. So you're passionate about Bible translation ministry as one of our board members, but also, I mean, as you're talking about every tongue professing, right? Mm -hmm. So tell us how did you actually get involved in Bible translation ministry and how it's made an impact on your life? Yeah, absolutely. I originally heard about Bible translation ministry when I was at Concordia University Chicago as a young undergraduate because I had a good friend, Paul Federwitz, and he came from a Bible translation family. And so that was the first piece I'd ever heard of it. And I was like, hmm, that's really interesting. And then they actually began the Beautiful Feet Mission <laughs> Conference during my time at Concordia. That was pretty cool. And so heard a little bit more about it there. And then I met Rich during our time in early pastoral ministry our uh, my husband was almost a classmate with rich if you will like one one year apart and so uh that was when you guys were deciding whether to be lutheran bible translators yourself and hearing people talk about that as a a way to uh, engage with god's word but also engage with his people that was really meaningful for me. And so just following that through the years. Then when I started writing more myself also, being deeply engaged in what translation means and that it does matter. Good translation does matter for people
people all over the world. And even when you have the word in your heart language, thankfully English, thank you, you know, Luther for doing translation in German. And then was it Wycliffe or Wesley? Who did the... Wycliffe and there's Tyndale is the one who really did the Okay, in the English translation. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. just so thankful that I can read it in my own language. There's also pretty poor translations at times. (laughs) And so then once I started working in mental health, being even more aware that sometimes when translations are okay, that doesn't necessarily mean they also are good from a cultural understanding. And so how do you help meet both the being true to the Greek and Hebrew and also being true to how the culture at our time and place understands that word? Mm -hmm. And so in that, in my own work, deeply invested in uh, Bible translation, and I believe that God has a heart for people all over the world and it can be really easy to forget and think that this lens, my lens in in Nebraska or in the US is the the only lens. And so I'm really, really grateful to be part of what Lutheran Bible Translators is doing all over the world so that people can read it in their heart language and that it can be a good translation, that it's accurate to God's heart. Um, So meeting God's heart with people's hearts, that's what we're in the business of here. And I really like being part of that. Yeah, one of the privileges we find in ministry that we really, is, is a joy for me personally, is also to try to be a window on the world for people who don't get to do that the way I've been privileged to do it and to show how God's at work in the world or how people with a whole different mindset or way of looking at things are approaching and wrestling with with God's word. It's a great gift to give to the church to sometimes feels like we're beaten down or we're losing our influence or whatever it is to see that God has never stopped working in the world. God's at work in the world in ways that we couldn't imagine and and the spirit blows where he will. Absolutely. It's so cool that there's this big church on earth and I can get so lost in my own little life and then also like you said American Christianity and whatever the struggle is there and all of that stuff and so just knowing that God is clearly at work in so many places when you see it from a wider lens it's very very encouraging. So Heidi you got involved in Bible translation ministry you've really been a huge advocate for people to get involved but what words of encouragement would you have for individuals who are not only interested in Bible translation but also in being a neighbor and partnering alongside people in their community what words of encouragement would you have for them? Mm, I think being able to understand that we have a lens and our neighbor has a lens and being interested in that neighbor's lens. I think that not only does that open our hearts to the people around us and able to better hear each other and all of that that we really struggle with right now in our culture, but it will open your eyes to all the other cultures out there and all the other lenses that are available to just learn from and grow from and like Rich said, there have been places of privilege in all of our own lives and being able to widen that idea of God's heart for all people, that is no small thing. I think and that changes the way we view the world, but also it changes the the rhetoric that we're involved in around us. And even in the U.S. here, we could 
be well served by uh, a little bit more kindness for each other, right? <laughs> a little bit more understanding. And so it helps when we go wider and wider and wider. And so we look at the world around us and are invested in Bible translation across the ocean, it will change our relationships with people here and our we will be better able to reach people for the gospel of Christ in our own backyards because we were interested in our neighbor on the other side of the world. So we also want to invite our listeners to pray for you and, and hear what you might like prayer for. But I also you we saw you on the cover of the LWML magazine, so that's a big thing to pray for. What's going to be happening there? Yeah, I'm going to be the Bible study leader for the LWML National Convention, which happens this summer in Lexington, Kentucky. So I'm pretty stoked. I've never actually been to an LWML convention, so no. this will be really cool. And I do speak in different places, especially about mental health and the intersection between God and his heart and mental health. And so people can find usually links to all that stuff on my social media sites and on HoneyGaming.com. Yeah, so we'll definitely pray for that. Pray for this book and its reach in maybe the church world and beyond, right? And mm-hmm. and pray for yeah. the house. Can yeah. we be praying for you? Though? No, that's, that is really the goal is I just completed a book and released a book called Finding Hope from Brokenness to Restoration. And my prayer is with that is that people will have some language for the struggles of life mm-hmm. and brokenness is that language, but we, we need each other to walk through it together. And so if you look up the book, share it with a friend, talk about it with them, be able to be more open and honest open our eyes to our neighbors and their lenses and all of that good stuff. And so I think that just prayers for that to go out and be heard in the places and spaces that God would have it. And then I'm also starting my next book on a biblical view of emotions. So I can use prayer for that. (laughs) Absolutely. We will definitely be praying for you. And thanks for being on the podcast with us. We will definitely do this again sometime (laughs) and uh, look forward to doing that. So thanks a lot for being with us today. Thanks, Heidi. Thanks for having me. I just love talking to Heidi. She is so wonderful to... (laughs) So this was the first time that I met Heidi, and I had listened to her podcast, I Love My Shepherd, and had read her Bible study with my mom of the Altogether Beautiful on the Song of Solomon, and really was just enriched. But then meeting her, it was just like could bask in the glow of (laughs) just their joy and energy and just how much she loves God's word and has a heart for his mission. Yeah, and so it's a a real privilege to have her working with us uh, on the board. And yeah, I just love the conversation and and approach to really digging into God's word and and, uh, putting it in common language and just words that speak to us. Right. So definitely want to encourage you all because we're all about crossovers. So if you haven't yet, please feel free to look at the show notes and take a look at her resources. God has a heart for his people and the holistic health, health and relationships, mental health, uh, just emotional health. So please take a look. And uh, as you have questions, I know that Heidi is always interested in hearing from people. So don't hesitate to reach out. You can find out more about her at HeidiGaiman.com. And uh, Gaiman's hard to spell, G-O-E-H-M-A-N-N. 
HeidiGaiman.com or just CPH Heidi. You're probably going to find her at this point uh, as the podcast episode gets older. That may not be the case, but yeah, definitely look her up. And we want to thank you for listening to the Essentially Translatable podcast brought to you by Lutheran Bible Translators. You can find past episodes of this podcast at lbt.org slash podcast or subscribe on any of the platforms where you get podcast content, Spotify, Apple, Audible, iHeartRadio. Follow Lutheran Bible Translators' social media channels on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Or go to lbt.org to find out how you can get involved in the Bible translation movement and put God's Word in their hands. This episode of Essentially Translatable was produced and edited by Andrew Olson and distributed by Katie Hogan. Executive producer is Emily Wilson. Podcast artwork was designed by Caleb Rodewald. Music written and performed by Rob Veit. I'm Rich Rodowski. So long for now. <laughs>